so, uh, Eddie said, my name is Wes Martin, and I'm the assistant uh, pastor over at Heritage Pres, which is uh, in Oklahoma City, up uh, close to Edmond. I am also the stated clerk of the Presbytery, which, for those of you who are less than Presbyterian in your background, uh, Presbyterian churches are not like uh, our Baptist brothers and sisters, where we're just all churches doing our own thing. We're actually connected to one another. And so I'm the glorified administrator of all the churches uh, in this area. So when churches, you know, need something, uh, most of that stuff comes through me at some point because I, you know, move all the paperwork around. So that's also why everyone has to deal with me at some point, and so I get to come preach at all the churches, which is fun for me. So uh, that being said, uh, the other thing you're wondering is, what's up with that thing on your neck? It looks like a Roman Catholic clerical collar. Well, congratulations. You have been misinformed historically. Uh, see, the clerical collar is actually a Presbyterian thing. Uh, we started it, and I'm not letting the Roman Catholics have it. Uh, See, uh, we started wearing it in the 1800s. Uh, actually, our Baptist friends used to wear them too. And when the Catholics got into wear, you know, stole them from us in the early 20th century, we all quit, uh, at much to my chagrin. So, uh, there you go. That's uh, who I am, and that's why I'm wearing what I'm wearing. It's really just something, it's like a police officer's uniform, right? They're here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. That's really all it's saying. Um, Today, Jason tells me you guys are finishing a sermon series uh, on uh, the attributes of God or, or studying God, and apparently I drew the short straw because I, I got God's holy providence as, uh, our, as the last uh, sermon in this series. And the reason I call it the short straw is because it is by far the thing I feel like has the most Wait, what? That's highly philosophical uh, things going on with it. So I'm going to try and bring it down to earth a little uh, and show us how it's incredibly good news uh, that God is holy in his providence. And I want to start by looking at a, just two verses in Ecclesiastes 9 because uh, God's providence sounds great and comforting. God is in control of all things. But if you look at life, uh, you can quickly go, God's in control of that? Uh, pass? Right? And so you can start to think God is either not really sovereign, not really good and in control, or you start to wonder if God's really good or just not very good at his job. And in Ecclesiastes, the preacher often talks, about, that's the writer, probably King Solomon, uh, talks about life under the sun. And so a lot of times he'll sort of start talking about looking at life under the sun, and then he will bring God into the picture. And so we're just going to look at a snapshot of an under the sun moment, uh, knowing that if we were to read on, we'd also get some glimmers of hope in knowing that God is there. But that being said, please stand if you are able and give your attention to the reading of God's word from Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 and 12. Uh, this is the word of the Lord from King Solomon. 
Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Uh, this and all that I will read from the Bible today is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, the word of the Lord, my friends, all men are but dust. Uh, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that your enduring providence and control mean that we always have a loving Father watching out for us in all things, even when it seems like all is left to chance. We confess we don't always understand you and all you're doing, and sometimes we have a lot of questions for you. But Lord, in it all, you are good to us. Holy Spirit, help us to trust even if you won't help us to understand. Let us see the goodness of our God today and his magnificent power this morning that we may be all the more at peace because of your love for us in the week to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So um, Jerry Sitzer was a professor of religion at this college in Spokane, Washington. And uh, this has probably been 15, 20 years ago. Uh, one night, right, he, was, uh, he, he is a believer. Uh, he came home with his wife and children from uh, Wednesday night church, choir, that sort of thing. And they got the kids to bed. They drank some hot chocolate together. Uh, they went to sleep. And his wife said to him before uh, he drifted off to sleep, to sleep, Jerry, I can't imagine life being any better than it is right now. It is so wonderful to me, and I am overcome by the goodness of God. And the next night, Jerry's wife, mother, and one of his daughters was killed by a drunk driver. And Sitzer reflects on that, saying, one of the worst aspects of my experience of loss has been this sense of sheer randomness. The event was completely outside my control. An accident, as we say. Maybe, I thought, there really is no God and no meaning to life. I resigned myself to misery and death, thereby yielding to its inexorability. Now, Sitzer eventually went on to write the book that I just quoted, uh, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. And in the book, he says he still doesn't understand why God allowed this terrible accident and that he's still sad and he has sort of no idea what to do with the fact that he believes that God was somehow in control of that accident. In fact, he finds it a little bit disturbing. But he has also found that he doesn't have to fully understand to also have faith that God is nonetheless good and loving and yes, 
in control of all. Now, in Christian circles, we sometimes talk about God's sovereignty tritely. Something bad happens, and we say, oh, don't you worry, it's all going to work out for the best. And we mean well, but we often do that sort of thing because we're trying to dismiss the bad feelings. We don't really want to weep with those who weep, as the book of Romans tells us, but we want everyone to be happy more quickly. But that's less than a biblical approach to the tragedies of this life. Job complained and cried out. And the book of Job says that in all this Job sinned not. Because a lot of our time, a lot of our lives feel a lot more like this moment in Ecclesiastes than like bright sunshine. Often everything seems totally out of control and we wonder if it really is going to work out for the best. As one writer put it, there are but few important events in the affairs of men brought about by their own choice. We just feel like we're lost to random chance in our suffering, in life going to pot, in nothing working out, in the world losing its mind around us. Is God in control of this? And the Bible says yes. Yes, he is. Now, now, maybe this applies to some of you. If it doesn't, it certainly applies to some of your friends. They are going to hear that answer, and they're going to have a problem with you and this God I'm talking about. They're going to say, you're telling me God is in charge of all the evil and tragedy in this world. And there's a big, long conversation to have about that. And... If you are mad at God because he's in control and he let that happen, first of all, I'm, I'm just so sorry that happened. God is still good. I promise. He is. But I, I'm sorry that happened. And God cares about the fact that that happened. And God is going to make it right somehow. I don't have all the answers for you. But I can tell you, God did not do that to you. The person who hurt you did that to you. The ravages and consequences of sin did that to you. And I, I don't mean God's punishing you for your sin. That's why that bad thing happened. No, that's also a less than biblical answer sometimes. Although it's always good to reflect, is this some sort of discipline for sin, but often, as Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents that God brought this malady upon him, but that the works of the Lord might be shown through him. Because of sin, there is suffering, sickness, and death as a result of just the corruption in the world. But I thought you said God was in control of all that corruption, buddy. Yeah, I did. And I don't know how that works. That's what I'm saying. I just know that God is not the author or doer of evil. It's not his doing. And he is angry and sad with you. And he promises there will be healing, redemption, and justice. And his providence means you can have comfort while you wait on that. But you can only have faith if God truly has the power of sovereign providence and love for you. 
In fact, if God does not have sovereign providence and love for you, I don't know that there's any hope at all. So, let's talk about God's providence and ways we should live in light of it and why it's so wonderfully comforting. And, and just so you know, we're, we're going to start sort of panoramic and move to personal. So we're going to start analytical and move to intimate. And we're going to talk about providence, problems, prayer, plans, performance, and peace. Yes, this is a six-point sermon. I promise we'll be done in a little under two and a half hours, okay? Um, first, I'm kidding, don't leave. First, let's talk about what we mean by God's providence. Uh, to do that, we're going to use something called the Westminster Confession and Catechism. This is a, one of those Presbyterian things. Uh, we just think this is this document that does a great job of summarizing and systematizing what the Bible teaches. Uh, and actually, we had one of those catechisms, have it, printed at the front of your bulletin, which you should pull out because you're going to need it here in a minute. Uh, but before we get to this question, there's actually a question that starts earlier in what we call the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which says, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Uh, and then a few questions later, we get this question in your uh, bulletin, uh, which I'm going to ask you, and we're all going to say it together, okay? That's how catechisms work. You ask the question, you say it together. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Uh, in fact, and then I think the Heidelberg Catechism, sort of a sister catechism to this, puts it in an even more comforting way when it asks, what do you mean by the providence of God? Uh, and its answer is, the almighty and everywhere present power of God whereby as it were by his hand he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. So when we talk about God's providence, we are saying that God powerfully with a power that can do anything and move everything, preserves, keeps everything going and moving, as well as governs, directing whatever happens. Every individual person, place, thing, molecule, atom, quark, and if they've discovered something underneath quarks, those too. Right? God directs he made everything, and he directs everything, including their actions. And he does this in a perfectly wise, holy, good, and loving way to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So in the book of Ruth, after Ruth's husband dies and she doesn't know what she's going to do, uh, she winds up going to work in some fields, sort of getting the leftovers that God says are to be left for the poor. 
The Bible says that she just happened. That's, that's how it words it in, in the ESV if you open up there to Ruth 2. She just happened to come to the part of the field owned by Boaz. And it turns out that this Boaz will be a kinsman redeemer. So he's going to be able to marry her uh, and provide an inheritance and an income for her, saving her life and the life of her mother-in-law. And although the Bible uses this phrase that makes it sound like it happened by chance, freebie, it's okay to say good luck, okay? The Bible makes it sound, you know? Um, although the Bible uses a phrase that makes it sound like it happened by chance, God's hand was there. We know from the end of the book of Ruth that God was directing all of this, preparing the way for Ruth and Boaz to become the great-grandparents of King David, which actually was God arranging something even greater, the salvation of the world by creating the line that would eventually give us our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a, that's like over a thousand years worth of planning. I can't even plan next week. So God's providence is one of the clearest teachings of the Bible. It's everywhere in every book from grand descriptions of God controlling nations and weather and storms. Uh, Psalm 33 and 135, for he spoke, right? He controls it by his very words. And it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. He co- the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. On the other hand, the Bible also says that God is overseeing the smallest of details. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God controls everything. That's what we mean by providence. No qualifications. But I've got a problem with that, some of our friends may say. If that's true, are you saying God made evil? Because evil is part of everything, right? Was God in control of the fall? Do people even have any free will? And that is... So much to unpack. That's like three lectures worth, okay? Um, Because God's providence is difficult to understand, hence the short straw. Uh, God's providence is mysterious. God's providence is disturbing at times for our finite minds. But for believers in Jesus Christ, God's providence is also comforting in the worst of times. Now, when it comes to evil, that Westminster Confession thing I keep going back to uh, says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. His providence extends itself, yes, even to the fall. 
and all other sins of angels and men. And that not by a bare permission. He didn't just allow it to happen. But such as has joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them to his own holy ends. Yet so, as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God. That the sinfulness comes from us, from the creature, not from God. Because God is most holy and righteous and neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. In other words, that's a really, you know, uh, pompous uh, 17th century way to say we have no idea how this works. Somehow God is in control of sin, but he doesn't make people sin. God has allowed evil. In fact, God has ordained evil, whatever that means. But he did not create evil, and he hates evil. And uh, spoiler alert, he will do away with evil on that last great day of judgment. Now sometimes what God is doing through evil things becomes clear. Like for Joseph, uh, in the book of Genesis, right, he's, when he's a young man, he's arrogant and needs to be humbled, and uh, he gets that thoroughly when his brothers try to murder him. It's always humbling when people try to kill you, isn't it? Um, right, and so he spends 40 years away from his family, he is a slave, he gets thrown in prison, and eventually becomes the right-hand man of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, and it turns out he's able to save both Egypt and his own family uh, from this huge famine. And Joseph figures it out, and he says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He, he, he sees why God allowed that evil. But a lot of times, most of the time, like for Jerry Sitzer, there's just no clear answer in this life. There are no easy answers. If God is God, and he knows all things, and he is good, then he can bring about something far better than we can imagine through the worst of scenarios. And if we knew all that he knows, and you don't know everything God knows. I don't know if you know that. Um, sometimes our, our unbelieving friends can be a little bit insulted by that, so you got to slap them with that gently, but we don't know everything God knows. But if we did, maybe we could make sense of it. But just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we shouldn't believe in him and trust him. Often, when we don't trust just because we don't understand, what we're really saying is we trust in ourselves. But we should trust God because God has shown himself to be trustworthy, right? Uh, it's like um, Aladdin turning to Jasmine right there on the top of that building and the guards are coming and he says, do you trust me? What, big pretty eyes? Do you trust me? And then, you know, they defy the laws of physics and they jump off the top of a building and go through tents and live. 
that's not how physics works. Don't do that at home, kids. But, um, right, do you trust me, God says. Faith always wrestles with the dissonance of what we see and who we know God to be, and there is no solution to it. What faith does is cling to the royal power and fatherly love of the Lord. And the doctrine of providence is not a philosophical system, despite all the philosophy I'm laying down, but it is a confession of faith. Notwithstanding appearances, only God, by his almighty and everywhere present power, preserves and governs all things. The only way I know to deal with God's providence is to trust him because he's good. And he loves us. He loves you, Christian. So, if we trust him, and God is in control of everything, how should we live in light of it? All right, so we've, we've dealt with providence and problems. Since God is in control of all, we are empowered to action. Wait, I have another problem. I thought God was in control of all things, so why do we have to do anything? I'm glad you asked. Well, once again, the Westminster Confession is helpful here. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, right, God's the first cause, he made all things, sets all things in motion, all things come to pass immutably. That's your new vocabulary word, immutably, means unchangeably, and infallibly, without a mistake. And yet, by this same providence, God orders things to fall out according to the nature of second causes. That's our big philosophical phrase we're going to come back to. Second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently, meaning, well, if you knock a domino over, the rest of them fall down, right? God, in his ordinary providence, makes use of means, even though he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. So, God accomplishes his world, his will in the world by using his creations in the world, including you. You are God's secondary cause for many things. If you lead someone to Christ, the Apostle Paul said he led people to Christ, but the Holy Spirit did it. We're good Reformed people. You led him to Christ, Dagnabbit. The Bible's fine with that. Um, if you accomplish something... Well, it was the blessing of God. Hallelujah, amen, glory, I agree. You still accomplished the thing. You did that. God is working through you as a secondary cause. So, so we, he does stuff through us. Are we his puppets? Like, are you saying we don't have free will? No, not what I said. I said God works his will through you and what you do. So, Pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and control you. Uh, sorry, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and you control you and God will work in and through you. That almost has a rhythm to it, right? Let's do that one again. Pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and you control you and God will work in and through you. In other words, you got to go do stuff. We act because that's how God does his will. 
Uh, right? So Oliver Cromwell said, trust God and keep your powder dry, boys. In other words, we are going to trust God as we go into this battle, but, you know, you have to keep your powder dry or you're going to get shot. Um, God's providence, our responsibility. They trusted God's providential rule. They exercised their responsibility to keep their powder dry. Or, or another way to think about this is we often pray for someone's healing when they're in the hospital with COVID, cancer, or other, uh, you know, terrible things. Uh, and ordinarily, ordinarily, God answers those prayers through ordinary means. Doctors, nurses, medicines, surgery. Now, he is free to work inexplicably beyond those means, and sometimes he does, right? There are miracle cures, but most of the time, that's not what he does, right? Most of the time, you get a shot, you get surgery, you go home, uh, you know, you get whatever shots you're supposed to get, you wash your hands, you sneeze into your elbow, and you're responsible for doing those things because God works through secondary means. God's just going to protect me. No! Yeah, well, yes. But you have a responsibility to go do the stuff to protect you. That's how God's protecting you, right? It's, it's like the guy who, uh, right, the, the flood was coming and he got up on top of his house and the helicopter came by. Come on, bud. I'm waiting for God to save me. The boat comes by. I'm waiting for God to save me. Uh, I, I don't know, a log floats by. I, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then he drowns and he gets to heaven and says, Peter, why didn't God save me? And Peter goes, God sent you a helicopter, a boat, and a log. What more did you want, man? <laughs> so, what should we do? Well, if God is in control, we should pray plan, and perform accordingly. First, we pray, because Jesus taught us to pray. We prayed it just a few minutes ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to ask for what we want, because God is our Father in heaven. And even earthly fathers give good things to their children, so how much more will the Father give to us, our perfect heavenly Father? And Jesus teaches us to pray incessantly, right? Be like the woman that keeps bugging the judge and won't go away until he does. Be like the man who goes and knocks on the door at midnight and won't go away until he gets stuff. Pray incessantly and keep bugging God about your circumstances and desires as long as it's on your heart until you either get it or it stops being on your heart, either of which is an act of God. Somehow our prayers accomplish God's will. Sometimes it's because through our prayers and our communion with the Lord, the Holy Spirit just changes our hearts. But sometimes our prayers really do change our circumstances. Now, how does that work? I'm starting to sound like a broken record. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Jesus clearly teaches us that our prayers are effectual. They somehow work with God through God. I'm being speculative theology here now, okay? Um, somehow they work, and God uses our prayers to effectually accomplish his will. So pray because it works. It doesn't work the way you always want it, but, you know, when you're a child and you have a perfect heavenly father, sometimes you just don't understand what your heavenly father is up to. And second and third, right, so I'm going to cover these together, after we pray, we plan and perform. 
uh, not perform like a stage performance, but I needed a P to say, go do stuff. Um, we, we make plans for our lives in the world, always saying, as James taught us, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But second, we plan knowing that as we make our plans, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, planning and providence are tricky. We just don't know God's will beyond what the Bible says in a lot of ways. Now, there is wisdom at looking in looking at God's providence. So, the the big application is for, for you uh, OSU students who are trying to figure out what job you need to go get. I'm going to tell you how to figure it out and then still not be sure. Look at God's providence. What opportunities, talents, affirmations, gifts, education, temperament, and interests have you been given? God's in control of those things. So it's probably a good guide. Now, don't get me wrong. Providence isn't scripture. Uh, John Flavel said, providence is much easier to interpret backwards. That is, often you can see what God was up to when you look back. It's harder to figure out going forward. But the good news of God's providence and love for us is that we can make plans, and if they're lousy, God will correct us. We can also have confidence that if we love God and are trying to follow him and we have the Holy Spirit and are using wisdom, our plans are probably pointed, you know, at least generically in the right direction. And the ones that aren't somehow will, will be in the end. So we make plans and then we perform. That is, we go out and do. God's will gets done in and through us. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And finally, as we pray, plan, and perform, in the light of God's providence, if we're really living into the good news of God's providence, we do this all with peace and patience. Right? Jesus taught us what it means to have an attitude of trusting God's providence in Matthew 6, saying, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's talking about you. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Or, everyone pull out your bulletin again. Let's actually talk about or recite Heidelberg Catechism 28. So again, I ask the question, you give the answer. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Trusting God is a lot like getting on a roller coaster, isn't it? You get in those chairs and you let them lock you in. And at least me, I, I get pretty nervous. In fact, during the ride, you get downright scared, right? You've got the, the incline. You got the fall. You got the weird loop-de-loops. Uh, you've got people's vomit hitting your face. Um, <laughs> right? You, you move so fast you can't breathe. You get jerked around. Sometimes it kind of hurts, right? Um, but you get on the roller coaster knowing that you're going to, that through all the fear and pain, you're going to get off on the other side uh, going, you know what, that was fun, let's do it again. You get on the coaster because you trust that even, you know, even though you know there's going to be some scary times and a little bit of discomfort, it is safe and it's going to lead to gladness in the end. That's what it is. We trust God because he's good, although I don't know about safe. <laughs> but he is loving and caring, and he truly wants to and can and will do what is best for his people. And that's why the Westminster Confessions chapter on providence ends with this. As the providence of God does in general reach to all his creatures, so after a most special manner, he takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. Whatever this church has been through, God will work it for the good thereof. Whatever the capital C church goes through, persecution, shrinking and growing, heresy and per persecution, I already said that, <laughs> God will work it for good. God is working all events by his power for his glory. And we as his children can know that first and foremost, he works all events for us. Truly, my friends, God has arranged all of history so he can have you as his child. First, he made it so that all those whom he wanted could come to him because he arranged all of life, all of history, to bring our Savior Jesus Christ into the world. Through the line of Joseph, you know, through uh, the line of Abraham, who, whom Joseph was part of preserving, through the line of Ruth and Boaz and David, we eventually got Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, 
Jesus came into the world because God was working through all the nations and many individuals and generations to eventually bring his son into the world in the right way at the right time to save the world from evil and sin. All of history was being worked to bring Jesus so that when the fullness of time had come, God could send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If it had been in any other time or any other way, it would not have paid for our sins. And yet God worked out perfectly for us. But he didn't just stop at letting someone die. He showed his glorious providential power by bringing Jesus back from the dead on the third day, as it said in the scriptures, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. And he's been providentially preserving his church ever since, as well as leading each of us individuals through exactly what we needed in life so that we lost sheep would be brought home in the way that we would need. And see, my friends, because God has shown his love for you like that, because God was willing to use his wise and holy providence to bring about salvation like that at, at a price to himself, and because God showed the power of his providence by even raising someone from the dead, we can trust his providence in everything else, my friends. He has shown us that he is in fact both a loving father and the sovereign king with the power to be in control and work all things for our good, though we may not understand it. And we can look at Jesus Christ and be assured of that. And that is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your providence, that you indeed are most holy, wise, and powerful, and you do indeed work that way, preserving and governing all your creatures. You are our heavenly Father who give us all things for our good and for our enjoyment so that you can have us as your children. We thank you that nothing can move without your hand and that because of that, through the ups and the downs of this life, we can be confident that your love is constantly guiding us. We ask that that would give us a, a comforted heart. It would give us wisdom and boldness. Uh, and above all, it would glorify your name. We ask, Holy Spirit, for you to convince us of this, that we may walk in light of the truth. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.